going to ask you a bunch of questions. If there's anything you don't want to answer, don't. Just tell me I don't want to answer that. Uh, how much money do you have? <laughs> Just tell me that first. We're talking coins. <laughs> coins. <laughs> Canadian coins? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Okay, I'll be nicer to you. <laughs> Here in a nice hotel at, um, in Midtown Toronto. I'm sitting here with Henry Butler, the great pianist from New Orleans. Henry, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's been good a while. Be, it, it, it has been a while. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Last time I saw you was in Natadden, Norway, and I think yeah. you were sitting there playing with Deanna Greenleaf, I think. Uh, I know we did something together. Um, I also spent a little time with uh, the late uh, Pine Top Perkins. Oh, that's right. And um, yeah, and then I did some stuff on my own over there as well. So you've been busy over the last many, many years. Uh, it's been, gosh, that was that was was that after Katrina? Yes, it was. I think. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, yeah, I've been busy. Uh, I moved to New York in '09. I can't remember what year I saw you in Norway. I think it would have been before that. Okay. Well, I've I moved to New York since then, uh, and I've been there. This is my seventh or eighth year in New York. Wow. Can we um, at that point go back to the beginning and let's talk about how music came into your life. I went to the Louisiana State School for the Blind in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Started there when I was five. And um, started singing in a glee club when I was seven. I was a second soprano. Can you can you believe that? <laughs> singing way up there. <laughs> what happened to your voice? Well, it just kind of decided to move down a little bit, you know, and... Uh, Boy, that was a long time ago, man. So when you started singing, this was just part of schooling. Was it? Did you have a passion for music? Well, <clears throat> I loved music. I mean, I don't think I was any different from, from any other kid. I mean, a lot of the kids at school really liked music, and they liked singing, and they liked being a part of a singing group. Um, we were all kind of handpicked uh, by this teacher. She was... Um, like the elementary division music teacher. She taught piano and she had a glee club and, you know, and she was tough. She was a big lady, man. <laughs> so was, at what point did you start playing? I know, I know you've played like tons of different instruments. So what point did you start playing piano? Well, I was sort of playing around on the piano when I was six uh, at a neighbor's piano. And then... I started taking lessons on the piano when I was eight. Um, and I was volunteered to take piano. I, I um, This same lady, this big lady, called me in, and she got me out of class and said, uh, do, you, do you know what the meaning of the word volunteer is? And I said, well, I think so. She said, do you know the military meaning of the word volunteer? And I told her, 
no. And she says, well, I'm volunteering you to take piano lessons. Wow. So and, she must have saw something. Well, it. she did say that she said she was doing that because at every assembly, I was the loudest voice in the auditorium. <laughs> and she said I had a pretty good voice, too. So, um, But she was one of these people that you, you, you didn't resist at the school. She was really tough. And, um, but I gave her a lot of headaches because once I started taking piano lessons, I realized that I could hear, I could play by ear as well as I was learning by, uh, the, you know, reading musical scores, elementary musical scores. And so I was also learning the melodies of these contemporary songs. I couldn't play the harmonies at that time but I could really figure out the melodies and that was easy. So every time she heard me playing these popular melodies, she would come and look for me because she had a, she had a, uh, she she had the tendency, she had a tendency of shaking students. (laughs) 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 And she was huge, let me tell you. So, uh, fortunately for most of her students, she wore lots of perfume, so we could smell her before she got there. And uh, I was pretty fast, so I would get out of the pra- practice room and <laughs> run somewhere, and I could hear her saying, Henry, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be... <laughs> I might be laughing in in another classroom somewhere. You know. <laughs> so, did you? When did music become a passion for you? Well, I was ten years old in the fifth grade, and um, my band teacher called me in and wanted me to do an arranging an arrangement. He gave me two trombones and me at the piano. And I told him I didn't know how to arrange for anything. So he gave me a crash course in orchestration. And so I did the two songs. Actually, we did three songs at this assembly. And it was amazing. You know, after the program, all these little girls were coming up to me saying how great that was. And I said to myself, man, that might be some hope for me. <laughs> you know, this is a theme I hear a lot from musicians. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy. It's really, I mean, I, it's not founded on much, but, oh, you know. <laughs> so um, even at 10 years old, I thought, wow, oh, yeah, I think this is good for me. So, um, I so really was, was that the music or the girls? Well, <laughs> I thought the music would be good for me um, to meet girls for the latter. I see. Yeah. So, um, I really started getting serious about it, and they gave me a band to arrange for, like a dance band at the school when I was twelve, and this band had about. Five, maybe six horns, a drummer, and me. No bass player and no guitar. And 
I started arranging. I mean, I I got some instruction from the band teacher, and so I figured how I I, I learned how to write for all the saxophones, trumpets, trombones, um, and and the like. So that was great. You know, I I at that point I was really doing it for the music. And this is mainly standard jazz, or what? Kind no, of music? this was this was. Uh, R and B and some blues, maybe some light jazz. Oh, interesting. Now yeah. I know that you also studied other instruments like drums and horns. Yes, actually, I started studying piano in the third grade, and I added drums to it in the fourth. You know, I was doing both at the time, and I was still in singing groups. Um, and I studied drums until I was in the seventh grade and then I let the drums go and took up uh, lower brass at that time I had uh, uh, baritone horn lessons with the band teacher uh, baritone horn is like a small tuba and I also took some uh, valve trombone lessons what did the other instruments give you in terms of your musicality as you stand today well they helped me in my arranging skills they they taught me how to arrange for all all of the instruments they um they gave me a better understanding of what those instruments sounded like i actually also took a few a few clarinet lessons wow can you play these instruments still um I haven't played the brass instruments in years and years. I mean, that was, man, that was a long time ago. Uh, so I haven't really developed my lip for that. You right. have to keep doing that, you know, especially brass instruments. Right. You have to buzz every day, you know, blow through the mouthpiece yep. and get and work on uh, achieving certain pitches and that kind of thing. So I, I really haven't done that. And, and frankly, I, I haven't really thought much about it. I mean, I'm, I spend most of my time with voice and piano these days. And you've done quite well with voice and piano. Why, well, why pick up another instrument at this point? Well, it would be nice, you know, if I, if I really felt like I had the time to do it and, and to do it justice, I, I might do it. So after you finished school and i think you went to university for music did you not i did i, I went to two universities uh i went to a small school for undergrad southern university in baton rouge and i got my uh, bachelor's there i majored in voice minored in piano uh, and there was a reason why i switched because all through my high school days, I spent most of my time working at the piano. But as a blind person, I realized that it would be difficult to really work on classical music scores because, I mean, they're first of all, they're very difficult and very involved. And since blind people can't sight read, uh, you have to memorize from the very beginning. Right. And if you can imagine a blind guy uh, taking a book, and that's the way these scores are laid out, 
taking a book and just feeling across the page to read the music. And so you read the first measure or first bar or two, and then you put your hand back on the piano and try to play what you just read. Right. And I realized, uh, especially when I got to the point where I was working on Beethoven's Sonata Pathetique, um, that I could work on that thing for almost a year. Hmm. Um, and and I know that you can't spend that much time on a score in college, or obviously professionally you can't do that. Right, and then you have to memorize it. And then you, well, by the time I was getting to the, like the 32nd bar, I was forgetting, I had forgotten what I did for the first bar. Right. So, and I didn't want to just get a record and learn it like that, because uh, I could have, but it didn't make sense. Did you know what you were going to do after school? Like, did you know that you were going to be in music or? Yeah, I mean, I by that time, I, I had a good idea of how I was going to pursue uh, a career and all of that. Uh, I, as much as I loved classical music, I knew I wasn't going to spend a lot of time with it. Uh, classical music was a means to uh, uh, further development and learning theory and all of that. Um, and then, of course, uh, by the time I was 14, I was playing professionally in nightclubs. I wasn't supposed to be in nightclubs at that point, right. but they let me in to play. And uh, and then by the time I graduated from high school, I was one of the top call guys in, in the Baton Rouge area and much of Louisiana. So, so New Orleans has a rich history of piano players with all the great piano players. Um, some who you've worked with, like Professor Longhair. Yeah. Was that the goal to be, to follow that step? Well, I think I had, I think I had something beyond that that I wanted. I mean, I knew, I had met a lot of those guys. I met, and I, I wound up studying with Professor Longhair. Uh, most of those guys had very little education, mm -hmm. uh, which may or may not mean anything. But the bottom line is, I was in school, and I knew, and and or had an idea of what they were doing musically and theoretically and all of that. So harmonically, um, and I kind of felt like I wanted more than that. Um, I mean, I think you're respected in other areas, but in some ways, I think that you're carrying on that tradition. Are you not? Well, a lot of people say that I am carrying on the tradition. A lot of people feel like I'm one of the foremost. I might. There's a lot of people are saying that I'm the foremost exponent of that tradition. Um, you know, especially with the passing of Alan Toussaint. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I I always wanted more, and I I still do uh, straight ahead jazz and I do blues, blues that never came out of New Orleans. You know, I do some Delta blues, some Chicago blues and some 
gosh, I've played in rock bands, played with alternative rock uh, groups like Soul Asylum. and That's the thing I like about you is the fact that you are everywhere. Like you, you have, I, I presume you have like three or four bands right now doing very different kinds of yeah, music. Yeah, we, we do. <clears throat> um, and, you know, there was, there was a time when uh, people didn't like that. Mm-hmm. People thought it was confusing. But now, since I'm, you know, almost 200 years old, um, people think that it's great that I stuck with that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very different situation now. A lot of people are trying to be multi-ethnic in their presentations. Mm-hmm. Can we just go back to Professor Longhair? Yeah. I mean, I always thought that it would be amazing to do a documentary or, or a, a life drama about his life because I just found his life quite interesting. But what was he like when you, when you learned from As far him? as I know, I'm the only student that studied with him. Um, he was very direct. As a matter of fact, I, I wish that some of my college professors were as direct as he was. In what way? Um, well, he always <clears throat> knew what he wanted from, from me as a student. Like he would say something like, play a boogie-woogie for me. And so I'd play my idea of a boogie-woogie. And so he would say, well, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like this. And then he'd play his version of a boogie-woogie. And, um, you know, that that's that's all right. And then uh, he, he made another statement. He said to me, he says, you know, you play the piano too hard. It says, if you played the piano a little softer, you might be able to move a little faster. Well, now that was back in 1975. And um, I want to tell him that I'm still working on that. <laughs> um, he was quite a player, wasn't he? He was, he was an innovator. He wasn't, he wasn't the player that James Booker was from a facility standpoint. From a proficiency standpoint, from a, a dexterity standpoint, he wasn't that kind of player. But he was very rhythmic. You know, he used a lot of African or Hispanic rhythms. Uh, he was big at using the mambo. Most, most New Orleans music is based on what we call the bambula rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, ta, 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 ta. Da, 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 da. Even even the uh, music of the meters, right. you know, in the sixties and the seventies, is based on that. So the city has uh, a definite uh, relationship with that rhythm, and that and the bambula uh, came from Africa through the Car- through the Caribbean islands, and New Orleans was and New Orleans is still in large part, the, probably the most rhythmic city in the United States. Uh, partly because of all the Africans who came into New Orleans, you know, with the slave trade. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, they were distributed and moved on to other southern cities in, in the states, other more, more Protestant cities in the, in the uh, states. Um, and 
they they had one of those they they had one of those festivals that other cities had like Philadelphia had one for a while and there were other festivals throughout the states where they allowed black people to dance and sing maybe one day a week um and it was sort of a a day off um from their normal work days so when you first got out of school and and i guess you the thinking was that you were going to teach or were you going to be a performer well when i graduated when i got my masters from michigan state uh, i kind of felt like i would do a lot of performing but i also wanted to teach and a little bit before I graduated, I knew I, that I was probably going to have a job at the Performing Arts High School because one of my teachers, one of my college professors uh, in the undergrad setting was helping him to set up that school. So um, I got called to do an interview, and they hired me to come back to New Orleans and work with students like Wynton Marsalis and Brantford and Terrence Blanchard and people who are affecting the jazz scene right now nationally. Oh. Uh, yeah, so, and I, I was the coordinator of the uh, vocal music program. And uh, so I had a lot of fun with the kids. Um, you know, they taught me a lot and I've hoped that I got to teach them something. So how did you establish your name? Like, how did you become the Henry Butler that we know? Was it a difficult road to, to get that, to get to where you are today, or was it relatively easy? Well, I'm not sure that I would say that anything is truly difficult. I, I would say that, you know, one thing sets up another thing, and then that thing sets up something else. Uh, you may not be as patient as you would as you might like sometimes, but um, that's kind of way. That's kind of the way life is. You know, you 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 work at this, and you, you start to see a little mastery in this, and then all of a sudden you realize you can do that, mm -hmm. and then you start to see a little mastery in that, and all of a sudden you realize you can do the other, right? And then you start to see a little mastery in the other. And then that leads to something totally different. And everything that you start to see a little mastery in uh, open do opens doors for something else. Right. Now, um, I, I taught at the New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts for just about three years. I resigned because I realized that it, I mean, if I had stayed there as a teacher, I'd probably been in poverty all my life. I mean, the salaries were very low for teachers in that school system. Um, I always tell the story, which is true, that when I left the school system as a teacher, I tripled my income in about two months just performing. That's <laughs> <laughs> amazing, you know. It really is amazing. And 
it, it's really one of the reasons why I don't go back to teaching at this point because I don't think colleges and definitely uh, high school systems they don't respect faculty enough to really pay them mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just can't deal with that did you ever question your career did you ever think maybe I should do something else or... oh I've thought about that a few times I've thought about it but I mean I love music I love being who I am I mean I I've spent a lot of time working musically on myself and I've spent a lot of time um, developing myself through music and uh, listen there's always a way to get what you need that's that's what I've come to learn over the years. There's always a way to get what you need uh, if you really want it. Do you, with all the music that you play, and when I'm doing research to interview you, I notice that, you know, you're referred to as a blues musician. You're lo- referred to as a jazz musician. I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but what do, what do you consider yourself? I consider myself doing anything that I want to do in other words I don't think of myself uh, with a label on me why would I right you know somebody calls me uh, Cindy Lauper called called me to do something with her um, a couple of years ago I was there I did it and um, you know I uh, a friend of mine who just passed last year, Jeff Golub, wonderful guitarist. Uh, once I started working with him, uh, about a year after I started working with him, he went blind. Uh, rock and roll guitarist, did some smooth jazz. He's mostly known for his work with Rod Stewart and Billy Squire. Mm-hmm. He's really a rock and roll guy. But... Um, you know, I mean, I work with people who can play. Right. I work with people who can sing. I work with people who, you know, admire what it is I do, whatever that is. Can we talk about New Orleans a little bit? Yeah. Tell me, tell me what New Orleans means to you at this point in your life. New Orleans, New Orleans music pretty much gave me the framework to work uh, from gave me the rhythmic understanding uh, it gave me many of my uh, beginning teachers um, and that's why I appreciate New Orleans that's why I appreciate New Orleans music and many of those teachers gave me the framework understanding that I might not stick to that framework, literally, Mm -hmm. but I might use it to do anything else I wanted to do with it. Like right now, uh, we have this band called uh, Butler Bernstein and the Hot Nine, Mm -hmm. and you know we're we're doing a lot of big gigs across the country and throughout the world. 
And so we use New Orleans music as a frame um, to do everything else that we do. So we do some Jelly Roll, we do some Louis Armstrong, some uh, 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 Kid Oliver, um, and anything else. You know, we use it to do uh, Professor Longhair, Billy Preston, um, and the idea is to maybe if we want to start with the New Orleans frame and then take it wherever we want to take it. Is is New Orleans music still as vibrant? Um, In New Orleans? Yeah, I'm thinking like, I mean, historically it has produced so much great music. Is it still doing so? At the same, like I'm, I'm wondering about the effect of Katrina and how many musicians left New Orleans and, and what impact that has on it. Well, there are a lot of New Orleans music there are a lot of New Orleans musicians still doing New Orleans music, and they're still considered ambassadors for mm-hmm. New Orleans music. They may not be in New Orleans necessarily. Like I'm not in New Orleans, but I still do some New Orleans music. Right. Um, there are a lot of people who, you know, started the whole ball of wax in one style or another of New Orleans music and some of them are still in New Orleans they don't work as much in New Orleans uh, unfortunately uh, the politics hasn't always been as kind to uh, New Orleans music and the and the and the politicians in New Orleans haven't always supported their culture uh, and cities a lot of the smaller cities go through that you know, um, San Francisco uh, is a great example of uh, people not always supporting the music that came out of San Francisco. That that Bill Graham, for instance, helped to uh, uh, help to shape. Mm-hmm. You know, Grateful Dead, uh, Sly and the Family Stones. Um, all those people that came out of there in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So many of the smaller cities go through these cycles where they're friendly toward the culture and maybe not so friendly toward the culture. Right. But does it worry you about the future of New Orleans? I am sometimes concerned about it, um, but not living there... uh, it's not a whole lot that I can do about what happens in the city. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, they they bring what they call um, these anti anti noise ordinances up for people to vote on, and um, it just means that people who are trying to second line or people who are doing who are creating uh, these public parades may not be able to do as much of that anymore. Um, And that's really unfortunate because a lot of tourists come to New Orleans to see and hear New Orleans music and to eat the food uh, that features the Cajun and the uh, Creole cuisines. Mm -hmm. Do you you miss that food? (laughs) I do miss the food. 
I do. Uh, but I get back there enough, you know, that I can get some of it. And <clears throat> as much as I love that food, I know it's not always that good for you. <laughs> so I, you know, I have to be careful with, you know, some of the things that I'm eating these days because I'm a little older now. So uh, if I eat too much of those uh, beignets and, right. and you know, I, I don't eat pork anymore at all. Um, but uh, if I if I eat too much of those sauces and all those creams and stuff, you know, I would be as big as a house. <laughs> Can I? I know Katrina had a major effect on a lot of people, and I know it did with you. Yes. Can we talk about that? Or yes. So tell me about your what happened to you, and 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 what how Katrina has basically changed your life. Well, it was pretty devastating. Um, I think of Katrina as a class action disaster. There were two hundred and twenty thousand homes that were devastated. Mine was only one of them. Uh, but I lost a 5,700-square-foot place, uh, which had a studio, a, a, a gym or exercise area, um, an office space, have a piano space outside of the studio, um, it was a great home for entertaining and a great home for, you know, study, all kinds of things. I mean, it really, really was beautiful. Um, but it was in the middle of a flood zone that we didn't know much about. We were always told that it wasn't part of a flood zone, and we found out that it was. So, um, the river, I mean, sorry, the, uh, the lake flooded and all the canals flooded. Um, so I was sort of in the middle, I was between one of the canals and the Lake Pontchartrain that flooded. So I couldn't help but to get it, you know, it knocked out my big bay windows in the dining room area and water just gushed in there. Now, uh, is it true, I read somewhere, that you were actually thinking about staying there? I was thinking about staying there, and some friends came. They were going to fetch me and take me with them. And I said, no, I think I'm going to stay. I'm, I'm just going to chill out here. I think I'll be all right. And one lady said, okay, if you're staying, we're staying. We're staying right here. And it was like 10 or 11 of them. So I said, no, we're not doing that. So I gathered a few things, and um, I think I, I, I took about four, four or five changes of clothing with me. And most of us, that's kind of what we did, because we thought we'd be back. Wednesday or Thursday of the next week. And that's what we had always done in with storms. Right. Um, but, of course, not only was this a storm, but the levee broke. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, we have the Corps of Engineers to thank for that. Uh, if it was just the storm, we might have all been back. But thank God for your friends. Oh, believe me. Believe me. When I got back to see that house, which was four months later, you know, because they kept us out of that area, the city kept us out of that area uh, for a long time just to try to restore it. I mean, that area was so devastated. I mean, you, they couldn't let people back in for a long time. But when I got back to the house, I realized that there's no way I would have made it. There's just no way. But how do you, how do you, you know, I mean, you lost a lot in that. How do you come to terms with that? Or do you just say, thank God I'm alive, everything else is materialistic? or Well, maybe all of that. But I, one of the things I learned was detach, detachment. I had a lot of stuff in that house, uh, studio equipment, piano, wonderful piano that I'd had for 23 years. And it was just all stuff. I had a library of books that couldn't be replaced. I still don't remember. I, I don't know all of the stuff that I lost. Mm -hmm. I, From time to time when people are talking about certain things, I remember that I had that or I had a copy of that or I had like somebody was talking about Stravinsky recently. And I remembered that I had everything that Stravinsky had ever put out on record. I mean, I had all of his recordings, just, I mean, a lot of these things I wouldn't even buy on CD anymore. Right. Um, a lot of things I, I carry on my phone now or on my iPad or I, I just have on a computer because one of the things I learned is to try to be as portable as possible. You know, did, did it change you? Well, it changed me, I think. I think everything changes a person. Everything. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, indifferent. All of that. And as I said, I I learned more about being detachment. Uh, excuse me. More about being detached to physical things. Right. And I had learned that uh, about relationships many years before that you know sometimes you you have great relationships and something happens where you need to leave or they need to leave or you both decide that um, it's time to leave and so you have to learn how to detach yourself from different things in life because nothing absolutely nothing is eternal physically. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some things that are eternal, but they're not physical. Meaning? Meaning, uh, you know, we, we all have uh, things that we have brought in from past lives. Here I go again. Um, um, and our our what I call our soul personalities uh, are developing, and they develop from one life to another. Mm -hmm. So we bring in traits uh, from uh, 
past lives that, and some of those traits we need to continue working on. You know, some of those traits are based on perhaps karmic things and all of that. Um, and for those who are listening to this, yes, I believe in reincarnation. If I remember correctly, I remember um, you telling me you were a Saints fan. And I swear, when <laughs> yes, I am a Saints When fan. the Saints won the Super Bowl, yes, I think you were the first person I thought of. Oh, because okay. at, back then you were telling me it was the New Orleans Aints. Yes. Well, when they won the Super Bowl, I almost kind of felt like I willed them to win that. Thing. <laughs> kind of felt like I was you and every other New Orleans. Saints I know fan. that's right. That's right. But now they're not doing so well. No, no, no. So it's okay, you know. But I again. I don't spend as much time putting energy into that. Yeah, I do listen to some of the games, but, um, you know, I have a life to live. I have a life to live, and um, I always wish them well, you know. Mm -hmm. But is that still your team? It's still my team. It's not a New York team, eh? I haven't given up on the Saints. Okay. Uh -uh. I will say, though, a few weeks ago, they beat the New York Giants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. So I'm okay with that, you know. Yeah. Henry, it's always a pleasure meeting you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, um, it's my pleasure, man. It's good to see you again. It's great to good see to hang you. Out with and you. Uh, you know, I just I feel very lucky to, to know you, and uh, it's nice catching up with you. So oh, thank you for this time. Thank you. My pleasure.